you, worship team. I'm so grateful that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It has changed my life totally, and I think the trajectory of my family's life. I don't think I'd still be married if it wasn't for Jesus. I remember my very first uh, Christmas, getting together with my family for the first time after becoming a follower of Christ, recognizing I had experienced forgiveness of sins, and it was something they were not aware of, of the whole meaning of that. And um, it's amazing to know your sins are forgiven. I'm grateful uh, today to have uh, my family from California and my family from Nashville with us. I uh, picked the passage today, especially for them, and uh, you can listen in if you'd like. <laughs> That's not quite true, but I want to dismiss Bridge Kids, and I want to thank our Bridge Kids teachers and leaders for serving us so faithfully. And now that half the room leaves, I can start. Let me give you a personal update. Um, next week, Ryan Koppel is going to be speaking for a couple of weeks. And that is because on Tuesday, I get to go to my dermatologist and I get to experience photodynamic therapy. And they're going to try to improve my face. So <laughs> I don't know how that's going to turn out. But it's routine. It's a pre-cancer treatment. And they put this little cream on my face and they light it up with a light and basically try to burn off all the bad stuff. Uh, so we'll see how that all works out. Um, it's routine. It's routine, but I'm not going to be here next week. You can count on that, and I won't be presentable. So uh, this is uh, the last Sunday in 2014. I like to begin uh, or end 2014. I like to end each year by looking ahead at 2015 and uh, sort of challenging us to refocus and to rethink, recalibrate uh, for the coming year. So Today, uh, I've picked a passage from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It's a well-known passage. I would encourage you to turn there. Some of you may remember the story. Um, comedian and actor Chris Farley was found dead in his downtown apartment in Chicago in um, December of 1997. He was only 33 years old. Um, the Cook County, that's the county of where Chicago resides, the Cook County Medical Examiner reported that Farley died of an overdose of opiates and heroin, uh, opiates and cocaine. According to the Chicago Tribune, Farley's struggle with drugs were no secret, and his death, though shocking, was not a surprise to his friends. In Chris Farley's obituary, the New York Times uh, James Barron quoted Farley from a Playboy interview. So this is a quote from Chris Farley. He said, I used to think that you, that you could uh, get a level of success where the laws of the universe don't apply, but they do. It's still life on life's terms, not on movie star terms. I still have to work at relationships. I still have to work at my weight and some of my other demons. Once I thought if I just had enough in the bank, if I had enough fame, that everything would be all right. But I'm a human, like everyone else. I'm not exempt. Apart from his death, some would say that Chris Farley was very successful. Apparently, the laws of the universe did apply to Chris Farley. 
Money and fame were not enough for him. When you think of success, what do you think of? What makes someone successful? Are you a successful uh, person? If you look at a dictionary definition, success is the accomplishment of one's goals, the attainment of wealth, position, and honors. That's sort of one dictionary perspective. There's probably a hundred dictionary perspectives on success. This is kind of a, the world's point of view of success. What does success look like for you? How do you measure success? And one of the important things is, if you're a parent and you're raising kids, this is embarrassing because my kids are here, how do you measure success in raising kids? Um, is it about having good grades? Is it about having certain talent, musical talent, musical skill, athletic talent, athletic skill, being on a winning team, being well-liked, being popular? What is it for you? What do you want for your kids? You want them to stay out of trouble? Is that like the big goal? You know, to go to school, do well in school, be well-liked at school. And then when we think about success, most importantly... What does success look like in God's eyes? From God's perspective, what does it take to be successful? So I want us to think about being successful in 2015. Uh, What will it take to help us be successful in God's eyes in 2015? So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 12. It's on page uh, 442 in the Bridge Bible. If you use... The other bridge Bible is 630. I have to remind you, we have two bridge Bibles. And so uh, that's why we have two page numbers. The first thing, if you follow along in the outlines in your program, take advice from a godly mentor. Take advice from a godly mentor. A couple of observations about the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was an instruction manual for raising kids in the Old Testament period. It was an instruction manual. This is what parents did. They, they pulled out the book of Proverbs. They memorized, basically, parents had to memorize the scriptures, and they passed it on to their kids. And they tried to explain it to their kids, and they tried to help their kids apply the meaning of Proverbs. Parents were the first mentors for kids. And um, the, the ideal was is that kids were raised in a godly home where parents were godly, and they were raising their kids to honor God. So take advice from a godly mentor. This is found in verses 1 and 2. The source, verse 1, look at verse 1. My son, the writer of Proverbs says, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Do not forget my teaching. What is the source? Uh, This is a father speaking to his son. And... uh, He's reminding his son about things that they'd already covered. Do not forget my teaching. What's the source of the teaching? Well, the source of his teaching was the Old Testament. It was God's word. That's how it would apply to us. Our source would be God's word. It includes the Old and the New Testament. So God's ideal for parents was to teach their kids about wisdom. Uh, The parents' teaching was to be from God's word, the ultimate source. Verse 1 is an admonition for the son 
not to forget what his parents had already taught him. It's a warning and a reminder to stay focused on the basics of what parents had already taught. It's a command to follow God's instructions for us. Because in them, the, this son, this person will find success with God. Now, if you're like me, um, I didn't have godly parents who mentored me. That's how I made it until I was 25 without Christ. I, didn't, I had parents that were okay. They were nice parents. They were, they were good parents in many, many ways, but there was just no spiritual connection. So I didn't get this spiritual thing, this connection with God and who Jesus was. Um, I had some church background, but I didn't have spiritual background. And I, didn't, I wasn't mentored. And so if you're like me, uh, maybe you ha didn't have parents who helped you along the way. But I've had a lot of other people along the way that helped me that have become my mentors. Uh, some of those, some have been pastors, some have been professors, some have been authors. Uh, I've been mentored well through books uh, from a distance, uh, from friends, being in accountable relationships with other people who, who desire to grow in their faith in Christ. And uh, you can have godly mentors. Take advice from a go godly mentor. Who has mentored you already? Do you have anyone right now that's helping you in your walk with Christ? Let me encourage that for you in 2015. Who, who is encouraging you in your walk with Christ and helping you grow as a follower of Christ? The benefits of um, following God's instructions. Verse 2, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. There is a promise in the Old Testament, if children will obey their parents, uh, God will give them um, long days. We're going to look at a passage in just a minute. This will prolong your life many years and bring peace and prosperity. Um, following the instruction from God's word has benefits. If Chris Farley had taken advice from a godly mentor, he maybe would have lived longer than 33 years. Um, let me just make a quick, quick observation here about the principles of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings about wisdom. The goal is to help people apply knowledge into everyday life. We, we are overloaded with knowledge today. It's an amazing how much information is available. What do you do with it? Well, wisdom is able to sort out knowledge and apply it every day. Most importantly, to understand spiritual knowledge and apply it on a daily basis. If you've been to our home, you know that we have a painting that has the words in our family room, wisdom is the art of skillful living. My daughter from California gave that to me as a gift. She created that and gave that to me as a gift on my 60th birthday. I hate to remember that part. But wisdom is the art of skillful living. It's an art to live skillfully. Not everybody knows how to live skillfully. We've got a lot of smart people, but how do you handle life skillfully? And that's what the book of Proverbs is about. It's about wisdom. And so as we follow God's commands, we can gain wisdom. And the, be the beginning of uh, wisdom is the fear of the Lord, according to Proverbs chapter 1. But these are principles of wisdom. 
now hear me on this. They are not absolute promises of God. They are principles of wisdom. They are general principles of life. This is how God has designed the universe. If you follow these principles, generally you will expect these results. It's not a guarantee on every occasion, because you can think of a lot of exceptions where somebody has followed God's word and didn't live long. It doesn't mean that somebody won't get cancer. It doesn't mean that somebody won't be hit by a drunk driver. It doesn't mean that. But generally, you can find that if you follow God, there's going to be a lot of benefits to your own life and your own health. Oh. And the writer of Proverbs tells us that the following God's instructions will prolong your life. It's going to keep you from making a lot of foolish decisions, a lot of foolish choices. And by the way, parents, this is what we are to be teaching our kids. There's so much about you know, what kids face and what they grow up is how do, they, how do they, they internalize it? How do they handle it? How do they process it? How do they make a decision? How do they cope with it? And that's what our role as parents are, is to help them be, have in, an internal process uh, to cope with life. Um, and it says it'll, it'll bring peace and prosperity. It's, it's, it's the idea of having God's blessing in your life. This is what I love about Scripture. It's, I'm so glad to be a follower of Christ because I can be in the place of God's blessing. I, scripture tells me that if I will follow, I can be in a place where, I can, where God's favor will be on my life. I, I would rather work with God than against God. And, and you have that option too. James chapter 4 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if you follow God, you have to be humble. And if you, you're opposed, you're going to swim upstream in life, and you're going to face a lot more difficulties if you're not moving with God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul picks up uh, this idea, and it's, it's also from Exodus chapter 20. It says, honor your father and mother. This is for kids which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life and live long on earth. This is a, this is a, a command with a promise. If you do this, there is a promise for God's care in your life. Secondly, um, embrace a lifestyle of love and faithfulness. This is in verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. Character traits, verse 3. The writer says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Uh, let love and faithfulness never leave you. God is a God of love. And he wants his people to be people of love. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second greatest, love your neighbor. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love should be an important part of who we are about how we relate to other people, how we treat people. It's about our relationship with God. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. God is a faithful God. God is faithful to his promises. And as we connect with God and as we grow, he wants us to be faithful to him. He wants us to be faithful to our promises, faithful in our relationships, faithful in our marriages. God wants us to be like him, to be faithful people. He says, bind them around your neck. It's like wearing it like a necklace not into necklaces 
the idea is that it, sh- it should be just a part of you. It should just be, it should adorn your life. It should be displayed. This love and faithfulness should be on display in your life. And he says, write them on the tablet of your heart. Let them mark your life. Keep them at the core of your being, inside of you. You're a person of love and faithfulness. This isn't something you just put on when you go out. It's who you are. It's, been, it's on your heart. Verse 4, the benefits, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Then you will win favor. This is about God's grace. You need more of God's grace in your life? I do. It's about following God's commandments. It's about letting love and faithfulness make that a part of your life. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And, and then... You will, this is a benefit, you will find favor and a good name, good reputation with, uh, in the sight of God and the sight of man. So think about your reputation. You know, that's how people view you. Do they have a high view of you, a low view of you? Is it a truthful view of you? But more importantly, what, is, what about God's view? What kind of reputation do you have with him? And the promise is, or, the, or this uh, benefit is, let love and faithfulness never leave you. If you're a person who's loving and faithful, you can count on God's favor, and you're going to have a good reputation with Him. It's a good place to be. So what's your reputation with God? Verses 5 and 6, number 3, entrust your life totally into God's hands. Entrust your life totally into God's hands. The issue is, who is in charge of your life? Who's running the show? Who do, you who do you think knows more about living successfully your life? You might have an opinion about running my life, but who, who should be running your life? Um, do you think you know more about success than the creator God of the universe? Uh, most of you would say probably not. But we don't always live that way. It's so easy just to jump in. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is about trusting God with your total being, with all that you are. It's about living by faith. This is about heading down a course of God's way, not your way or man's way. It's to trust the Lord with all all your heart. This means don't hold back anything physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. Don't hold back. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be dependent on your own understanding alone. By the way, God gave you a mind. You're created in the image of God. He's given you the ability to think and to make choices and and to be wise and to learn and to grow make all kinds of decisions that's good and he's saying don't chuck that he's not saying don't use your understanding but don't lean on your understanding alone may it be supernaturally directed by the God of the universe trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding alone Uh, but to lean into God and don't be self-reliant. Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, about God's perspective. 
This is true about God's perspective on your life as well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Your life is probably complicated. Your circumstances are probably complicated. You probably understand them better than anybody else around you. God understands your circumstances and how complicated they are. And he may see things that you don't. In fact, I know he sees things that you don't and that I don't. And he is worthy to lean into and to trust him because of who he is. Uh, Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul picks up on this in a different way. Verses 33 and 34. The Apostle Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And this is how the, the Apostle Paul understands God and his perspective and the value of bringing God's perspective into his life. Have a little note here, the question of the heart. Yeah, you got that. Sometimes I put notes in my message and I don't know if I got them to the PowerPoint. Uh, just a quick observation here. In our culture today, when we think of heart, this, this is just so influenced by our world, movies. We think about heart. Trust the Lord with all your heart. This is not primarily about your emotions. In our culture, we lean a lot toward the emotional side. Lean heavily about how I feel. This is not so much about that. It includes how you feel, but it's about your mind. It's about all that you are. It's about your ability to make decisions. It's about your ability to think. It's about your intellect. And uh, so think in terms of that. It's not just how I feel today. It's about making thoughtful choices. Trust in the Lord. That's a decision to make. Um, the writer of Proverbs says this about those who choose not to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Benefits in verse 6 of trusting the Lord. In all your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Um, he will make your path straight. He will remove obstacles in your path. Now, I think life has enough obstacles already. It can be health concerns. It can be difficult relationships. It can be difficult finances, tough job. There's already enough obstacles. God doesn't promise to take away all of our problems, but he can sure smooth out a lot of the difficulty that we face. And so much of it is how we handle it. It's not the situation, but it's how we handle it. Uh, how is everything inside? Do I have inner strength? Do I... Do I have uh, perseverance? Do I have a contentment? Or am I just anxious about everything? And God can uh, help us handle these things. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Not only will He help with the obstacles and difficulties in your path, He will also help you straighten out the crooked moral path. Because life is hard and there are moral choices to make. 
And we often fail at moral choices. And as we walk with God, he can straighten out and make, make it easier to go down a path that's God-honoring, moral choices. Uh, the writer of Proverbs says there's a straight path and a crooked path when it comes to the, these choices. So, benefits, he will make your path straight. Fourth principle, verses 7 and 8, walk humbly with your God. The decision is, well, verse 7, will I stay on track with God or will I go my own way? What about 2015? You're going to choose to stay on track. And maybe just a chance to realign and get back on track in 2015. Walk humbly with your God. The decision, verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Don't be so smart that you don't need God. It's amazing, though, and I find myself doing this. You know, I have a lot of information. I have a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of choices I know how to make, and I can do them without God sometimes. I can just make a good choice, good in that outwardly it's, it's a good choice, it's not a bad choice, and I can do it without God. And it's so easy just to get into a pattern of going through the motions, being a nice person, and yet leaving the spiritual factor, leaving the Lord of the universe out. And it's just like doing it in my own strength. That's... That's one of the biggest problems we have as followers of Christ is ending, we end up often doing things in our own strength. Do not be wise in your own, your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Be wise in God's eyes. How? Fear the Lord. Shun evil. Respect Him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's listening to Him. It's submitting to Him. Um, the concept of fear of the Lord is having... It's not being afraid of God. It's about being in awe of Him, of understanding how great He is and how awesome He is. And out of respect, because He is God and I am not, I, I submit to Him. I choose, I want to submit to Him. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Joseph is a great example in Genesis chapter 39. You probably know the story. Joseph was a young man and he uh, was a prisoner and it wasn't because he had done anything wrong and he ended up in Potiphar's house an Egyptian and uh, Joseph was probably like I don't know 17, 18, 19 years old and uh, scripture says he was a handsome man he's well formed and uh, Potiphar's wife caught on to that and there, Joseph experiences temptation with Potiphar's wife and some people think well you know Potiphar had a wife and maybe she wasn't very good looking and nobody would have been tempted. I'm guessing Potiphar had a choice about who was going to be his wife and she was probably very attractive. And she did everything she could to get Joseph to go to bed with her. Gave him opportunity alone, away from everybody else and Joseph could have said, well, who's going to know? But Joseph said, I cannot sin against God. This is what it means to fear the Lord and to shun evil. He turned away from it, and he ran out, and it was embarrassing, and he ended up in jail um, for doing it uh, because, she, because she was embarrassed. But God saw it, and God worked good out of that difficult situation. So do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says this. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom comes from God. Do not be wise in your 
own eyes. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men and women liberally. God wants us to ask him. We have to go to him. He's the source. And he can give wisdom when we ask. He gives wisdom through scripture. We read Proverbs. He gives wisdom through walking with God in life experience. He gives wisdom through other people who've gone ahead of you in their walk with Christ. The benefit, verse 8, the benefits, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Health to your body and nourishment to your bones. It's sort of like the inner and the outer. Uh, Quick observation here. There's a correlation between the spiritual life and the physical life. There's a correlation. I'm not saying that you can say every spiritual issue has a physical issue or every physical issue has a spiritual issue. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a correlation. The book of Proverbs is teaching that. That if we follow God's commands, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. There are a few facts to back this up. Um, Medical acceptance has grown along the scientific data on prayer's impact. Prayer is a way to... um, fear the Lord because of who he is. It's about submitting to him. It's about acknowledging his greatness. We go to God because he is bigger than us. Um, Prayer's impact. Says Dr. Dale Matthew of Georgetown University, author of The Faith Factor, he estimates that about 75% of studies on spirituality have confirmed that it has health benefits. And then this is a quote for him in Parade Magazine. If prayer were available in pill, pill form, No pharmacy could stock enough of it if prayer were available in pill form. Another example uh, is about God is the one, by the way, who designed marriage and he designed male and female. And he said, and this is uh, from Time Magazine, people in happy marriages are healthier. Studies have shown that happily married women have less blockage in their aortas. Did you know that? Write that down. And their happily married couples are less likely to suffer from heart disease. When a relationship is healthy and caring, marriage relationship, their partners tend to discourage bad habits, and you should have seen my bad habits before now, and encourage good ones, leading to fewer illnesses and more attention to health care. In the most striking finding, this is another example, um, as it relates to practicing faith. In the most striking finding, Dr. Harold Koenig of Duke University Medical Center has calculated that with regard to faith, a lack of religious involvement has an effect on mortality that is equivalent to 40 years of smoking one packet cigarettes a day. That's just one person's opinion, but some people think that there's a big correlation between practicing faith and health. So, um, let's go on to number five, fifth principle from verses nine and ten. Learn to set aside money for God first. Learn to set aside money for God first. The Bible has a lot to say about giving. A lot of you already know that. One of the things I just like to say up front is, if you have kids... Don't expect your kids to learn about giving to God or generosity, parents, if you don't 
give to God and are generous with God and with other people. If you don't, they won't. Learn to set aside money for God first. The commitment is verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Um, successful living in 2015 will include how you handle your money in 2015. Honor the Lord with your wealth. This is what we are to teach our kids. This is what we are to practice. The Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And uh, God has given to us a responsibility to be managers of our stuff or stewards. We have a stewardship with all the things that God has given us. Our job is to care for them. And one of the things God has asked us to do is to give a portion of it back to him. One of the problems we get is, well, I got this job and I work and I get this money. It's mine. And uh, we kind of miss the big picture. Well, how did, how did you get this? How, how did you get your job? Uh, how did you get your education? Uh, how did you get healthy enough to go to work? How do, you, how do you produce wealth? And God is our source. And we recognize him. We honor him. And I wouldn't be able to do anything without him. I wouldn't, we wouldn't even be able to get out of bed in the morning apart from him... Uh, making it happening, allowing it to happen, and giving me the strength and the energy to do it. Um, during the Old Testament times, Israel had an agrarian economy, economy as, as a lot of you know. Um, they had crops, they had wheat, they had olives, and they had grapes, they had crops, and they had, they had animals, they had uh, sheep, and they had cattle. And if you had those, it's the same as cash. And you could trade those like cash. You got cows? I'd like to have them, you know. What can I give you for them? And so when people gave in the Old Testament, they gave a portion of their crops, and they gave a portion of their animals, and they set them aside, and they gave them to God. And we, we know from the Old Testament there were direct commands about how much that should be. And uh, one very clear command was to give a tenth each year. I personally believe that there were three different tithes or tenths that they gave over a three-year period, which is higher than 10%. But let's just stick with the 10%. Uh, the idea was they were to give. We come to the book of Proverbs, and it says, honor the Lord from your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. And the idea is giving to God first. What did that mean to them? What did it mean to the Old Testament? It meant when the crops came in, they, they gave the best stuff and the first stuff to God, even when they didn't get everything out of the field yet. They started setting aside something for God out of that. And it was God's. It wasn't theirs. They didn't worry about it. It is God's. It's up to him to, to, to take care of it. And, and, to, and so they set it aside. Honor the Lord. It, it's an act of honor. It's an act of worship. It's uh, an act of showing our value for God, our appreciation for God. And so God instructed his people to set aside a portion. In fact, it was the first portion. And by the way, there was Old Testament scripture. This is a principle of wisdom. It supersedes the Old Testament. Wisdom is for all time. Here's a principle for living, setting aside a portion for God. Now, my advice is to you is that you set aside a portion. I don't have to know what that is. You get to choose. 
We don't have to be legalistic about it and say, this is the percent you must give. If you want me to give you some advice, I'll be glad to give you some advice, but the point is, is you get to decide. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8 says this, Remember this, this is the Apostle Paul, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What's he talking about? He's talking about financial giving. He says if you, if you give to God, if you sow generously, if you give to God generously, you can expect to reap generously from God. And if you sow sparingly with God, you can expect to reap. You, you reap what you sow. It's a principle of the universe. And uh, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, some people will say, well, I don't want to give reluctantly. Okay, don't. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to be a cheerful giver. That's what God wants your heart. He's not after your money. He wants your heart. And giving generously is part of our heart. But here, here's what I want us to see here. Each of you should give. So it's for each person. It's if you're a follower of Christ, you, you have a responsibility for this, to give to God. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So that's a decision you have to make. What have you decided in your heart to give? I want to encourage you to think about deciding in your heart for a year. Because you can look back at 2014, whatever you gave to God, if you gave, if you gave money to the bridge, if you gave money to the Samaritan's Purse and, and IJM and a number of good things that you can give to, if, what percent did you give to God? And all I'm saying is you should know that. That's good accounting. It's good stewardship. And then what I want to challenge you to do, could you be more generous in 2015? Each should decide in your heart. You can make that decision. It, if we just sort of come at our giving sort of haphazardly and it's just like, well, it's how much I have left, sort of tip God. This is a planned decision. And um, so there's, I'm not asking for money. I'm just, this is a spiritual, about growing spiritually. It's about following Christ. And so think about it in the new year. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's what God primarily wants. He wants you to abound in every good, wo good work. Um, so, honor the Lord with the first of your wealth. The benefit, verse 10. Then... Your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is a picture of abundant provision from God. It indicates God's blessing. Your barns will be filled overflowing. That's where they stored their crops. And your vats will brim over with new wine. By the way, this is not prosperity gospel. The Bible does not say God wants you to be rich. What God wants is you to be obedient. He doesn't care about you being rich. He wants you to be obedient. Blessing you is up to him. 1 Corinthians 6, or 1 Timothy 6, verses 8 through 10. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. God is way more interested in you being content than he is about you being rich. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people have noted that Christians are some of the first people to fall for a quick, rich scheme. And they, they try to sort of think, use God to make it happen. And some Christians are really gullible when it comes to getting, having prosperity because they're Christians. Nothing wrong uh, with gaining material things. Just want to keep your priorities straight. Uh, Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So, uh, uh, Proverbs 28, verse 22. The stingy are eager to get rich and unaware that poverty awaits them. The stingy are eager to get rich. And also, some people are stingy with God. And, you know, that principle back in 2 Corinthians 9, if you're stingy with God, expect God to be stingy with you. It's, it's that principle of sowing and reaping. So a warning here, very quickly, never uh, give to God to get from God. Never. This is prosperity gospel. If people give so they can get. Never give to God to get from God. Matthew 6, 33. Very simply, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the right priority. God's kingdom. God's desire, what God wants, and God will take care of everything else you need. He doesn't promise to give you everything you want. He does promise to take care of everything that you need. Last one, and we're going to try to move through this quickly. Um, verses 11 and 12, and I won't do this justice. Embrace the difficult times as God's specialized training. Embrace the difficult times as God's specialized training. The instruction, verse 11, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Um, key concept here is discipline and it means training. And it's the same concept in the Old Testament and the New Testament of child training. Training children to grow up and to be able to understand yes and no and to understand boundaries and understand what will prosper them and where, where is off limits. And uh, we are to use discipline and consequences that relate when we raise our kids. And uh, the Lord's discipline here is not punishment. Um, When we raise our kids, we want our kids to learn the value of yes and the value of no. There's a lot of things in life that we get a no to. We get a no from our employer. We get a no from friends. We get a no from spouse. And we, we have to cope with it. And sometimes kids grow up without many no's. And they don't have discipline. Sometimes God says no when we ask for something, doesn't he? It's sometimes it's really, really important to us. And he says no. And the question is, is that okay? Is it okay if God says no? Is there something bigger here going on that he is deciding to do? Um, and the writer of Proverbs is telling us to embrace difficult things and view them as training, specialized training that comes from God. I think the Apostle Paul gives us some helpful insight about discipline in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You've probably heard me 
used this a few times. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy to train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Here's what I like. Train yourself to be godly. That puts it onto you. It's not the pastor's job to train yourself. There's a part where you have. You have to train yourself. You know, training is about athletes train, musicians train, artists train. My, my grandson is a professional dancer, and he trains, works hard, and you, to develop skills, and you get better and better and better. Train yourself. Well, there are spiritual disciplines about training yourself. You do them over and over. You practice and you practice. It doesn't say, this is the most exciting thing that happens to me every day. Sometimes it's hard work. I, I do it. It's important. I do it. I do it. I read the scriptures. I'm training myself to be godly. I pray. It's not always the most exciting thing I do. It's important. I'm training myself. I memorize scripture because God's word is so important. I'm training myself. Sometimes I fast from food. You can fast from other things. Because I'm teaching my body to say no. I don't say yes to everything that my body wants. I have to say no. There's a spiritual discipline. And uh, there's so many benefits that help us with inner strength and perseverance that come through spiritual disciplines. The benefits in verse 12 of God's discipline is because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. That's so hard for us at times when we go through difficult situations. I know some of you go through, have health situations. Um, part of my family's been going through divorce. That's really painful stuff. I don't, there's no easy thing here. And yet, God can produce good things out of things that are hard and difficult and bad and even wrong. God can produce good. And he loves you and he delights in you and he says, will you embrace this with me even though it's hard? Uh, Romans 8.28 of the benefits, verse 12, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son delights in. Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I hate to be trite. I hate to use this too often, but it's, it's really true. God can take very difficult circumstances, bad circumstances, circumstances where you've been wrong, that were unjust, and he can work good. And he can work good in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Apostle Paul talks about, and if, you know, I don't know where people, if people read the New Testament, th there's nothing in the New Testament that says Christians are not going to have problems. People get this idea sometimes that being a Christian means everything's great, God's going to take care of me. Yes, he's going to take care of you. But the Apostle Paul went through all kinds of hardships, and he, he learned to embrace them. And uh, he says, and in this case, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul had a physical Ill, illness, ailment, something that he wanted God to take away, a problem, physical problem. And God, God said, no. He said to me, my grace, 
God's grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And I'm going to end with that passage. i got another page here, but I'm going to end with that passage right there. Um, think about this. Paul says, God's grace is enough. God's grace is sufficient for you right now. And he says, my power, God says, is made uh, perfect in your weakness. You're weak. God has power and strength to enable you. Is that okay? Is that enough? Or do you just walk away and say, I don't like it? God's grace is sufficient for you. So, Proverbs chapter 3, for you, 2015. Let's stand. I'd like to pray. Father, I'm grateful for principles of wisdom. Therefore, every day, for every year, thank you that you've given us instruction, that you've helped us with wisdom. Help us to grow in wisdom. Help us to acknowledge you and to trust in you fully, whether it's with our money, with our decisions, as we raise kids, as we relate to each other. Father, when we think about embracing difficult situations, give us the trust, give us the hope to see that your ways are beyond our ways, that you can work good, that you delight in us even when we feel like we're suffering. Father, as we look ahead to 2015, may we walk and know that your grace is sufficient for each day. May we be renewed. May we have hope. And may we shine brightly for you, for Jesus' sake. Amen.